to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. I just want to read you a, a scripture from Joshua chapter 4. You can either follow on the screen or um, read in your own own Bible with me. I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 4, verse 1 to about verse 9. <clears throat> I think it's a scripture that's uh, quite appropriate um, for us in this, in this time. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel and that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them, to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. Um, and they are there to this day. And then in, um, just read, it's not up on the screen, but let me just read verse 14 as well. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. It's the word of the Lord. And, um, you know, the reality is we as people tend to forget so easily. And we need constant reminders of what the Lord has done. We need memorials to remind us, as perpetual reminders, of what the Lord has done for us. Um, I, I was thinking about it and, 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 and just thinking that, you know, there, there are sort of two ways that we tend to sometimes forget. The one way is we, um, we actually just forget the difficult things that we've gone through and that the Lord has taken us through, and we no longer look back on it, and it no longer stirs our faith for the difficult things we're going through now and that we will go through in the future. And the other thing that we sometimes do is, you know, as, as we think about what we've been through, our thinking changes from... You know, this is what the Lord has done for me. And we start forgetting that it's the Lord who did it, and we start taking credit for it to ourselves. And we, we start thinking, this is what I went through. And then eventually we get to the place of, this is what I, this is how I have overcome. 
and we start thinking, we start taking credit for the things that the Lord has done in our lives. And for, for both of those reasons, we need memorials that remind us of what the Lord has done in our lives, that remind us of what God has done in our lives so that we will not forget and so that we will not lose heart in the present and, um, and in, the, in, the, in the future. And I, and I think um, this 10-year celebration celebrating um, 10 years of us as a, as a congregation existing uh, is, is a good time to build such a memorial. And the testimonies um, that, that, that you saw on the screen, I think, is a, is a, is a, is a good way to do that. And just say, and, and I hope you saw um, how everyone spoke. Uh, you know, there were two, a few, we, we didn't coordinate the, the testimonies. I mean, we just asked, you know, the people wherever they were, you know, um, Yaku and them and Heinrich and so on, just to send a testimony. But isn't it amazing how there's a common thread through the testimonies, a common thread of the grace of God. In other words, how God has been faithful to us and how God has uh, worked in our midst. Uh, just that, that common thread of the grace of God just so encourages me because the God who has been faithful in the past will be faithful in the present and will be faithful in the future as well. Because by nature he's faithful, as Quibus was sharing. By nature he delights to show mercy to us. Um, so I just want to, um, out of that scripture, take uh, four points. And you can see them up there on the screen. Um, four points that, that I want you to see if, if that, that is sort of a parallel between what God did for Joshua and the nation of Israel and that it does for us as well. The first thing is God commands us to do what we cannot do. Isn't that so? Especially when it comes to sort of important times of transition, where you transition from one season to another. God often will call you in those transitions, in those difficult times, to do things that you know you cannot do. <laughs> and then God, in His grace and in His faithfulness, does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And then God commands us to build a memorial to what He has done. And then, finally, uh, we set up a memorial where we live that points to a memorial where we would have died. And in some cases where we should have died. So I'm just going to go through that and, and try and apply that uh, to our lives. Firstly, um, in, I'm not going to read it now, but in Joshua 3 verse 15, at the end of the verse, at the end of the previous chapter, it's, God says to, 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 to Joshua and to the nation, go and, and go through the Jordan. But then it specifically says that the Jordan is in flood during the time of harvest. I mean, there were times during the, the year... Um, you know, if it was not the rainy season and if maybe there was drought, where maybe the water could have been low enough so that you could safely walk across, walk through the water of the Jordan. But when God gave the command for them to pass through the Jordan, it was not that kind of time. The, the, it was the rainy season, it was the harvest season, um, the ice had been melting um, upstream, and the, the Jordan River, it says, was literally flooding its banks. It was dangerous. There was a lot of water coming down. If you tried to cross the Jordan at that time, you would have been washed away. And isn't it interesting that God will often call us to cross our Jordan exactly when we cannot do it, exactly when it's not safe to do it, exactly when we cannot accomplish it in our own strength, exactly when we would need Him to do a miracle 
in order for us to be able to do it. And I, and I think if you look back on the transitions of your life, you'll, you'll, you'll see that that is often the case, that God does it. So, so God calls us to do what we cannot do at a time when we cannot do it. But, but not only that, if you think about the Jordan, not only could the people at that stage, because the Jordan was in flood, safely cross the Jordan, but the previous generation had failed to cross the Jordan and enter the promised land, hadn't they? At exactly that same spot. Remember what happened? The, the previous generation came to the edge of the promised land right there at the Jordan. They sent out the 40 spies for 40 days into the promised land. They had to go and spy out the land, pick some of the fruit of the land and bring it, you know, as a testimony to the people, as a memorial in a sense. And, 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 and the two, two of the spy, uh, 10 of the spies brought a bad report and only Joshua and Caleb once again, you had 12 representatives of the 12 tribes going out and bringing a memorial, you know, a sort of a testimony. Yes, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at all the produce of the land. And, and that generation believed the bad report of the 10 spies and ignored the good report of Joshua and Caleb, the only ones who actually had faith and said, but if God had said to us, if he promised the promised land to us, I mean, it's called the promised land for a reason. If he promised the promised land to us, God will give us what he has promised. And they were saying, no, 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 but, but you don't understand. We saw giants in the land. We are physically unable to conquer. They're too big for us. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and in theirs. Remember them saying that? Some of you might have read it before. And they said we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and in theirs. Now, obviously, they didn't know how they looked through the giant's eyes, but they assumed that because they looked at themselves through their own eyes and not from God's perspective, and they saw themselves as grasshoppers, they assumed that that's how the enemy saw them as well. And they took God out of the equation and they felt like grasshoppers and they felt like the enemy saw them as grasshoppers too. And, and we know what happened. They didn't cross the Jordan. They didn't possess the land. And God said, 40 years, one year for each day that the spies were in the promised land, you will wander in the desert and this generation, all of this generation except Joshua and Caleb will die out. You will not possess the promised land. Your children will. And so these children come now to the promised land, to the place where their forefathers had failed to cross the Jordan and to possess the land. And they were now called. And in a time of flood, when the Jordan is in flood, they couldn't cross the Jordan, and they knew, I mean, physically nothing had changed. The same giants that their forefathers, the spies, saw in the promised land were still in the promised land. So they couldn't cross the Jordan physically, and they couldn't physically beat these giants. In other words, they couldn't possess the promised land. They couldn't start the process of possession, and they couldn't finish it in their own strength. And neither can we. Neither can we. We're also in a position where the inheritance that God has for us, we cannot cross the Jordan because it's in flood. It'll wipe us away. And we cannot conquer the giants because they're too strong for us if we only take our own strength into consideration. And it's at that time when God called them to do what they could not do. And it's in the same way that God calls us to do what we cannot do. And now this is an important transition moment for Israel. If you go, it says, and when the whole nation 
had crossed over. And actually, that's the first time in the Bible when Israel is called a nation. There's one other place in Exodus 19, verse 6, where God, in a sense, prophesies and says, if you obey my commandments, you will be to me a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. But, but that's sort of a conditional promise. Here's the first time when Israel is actually referred to physically as a nation. Before that, they were referred to as the people of Israel. And so this is an important transition. It's not only a transition from being in the desert to going into the promised land. It's a transition from just being a bunch of people, just a group of slaves that have been set free to becoming a nation. And it's also a transition, if you read later on in the chapter, in the next chapter, of living on God's manna to going and living from the produce of the land. A major transition, but a transition they could not accomplish in their own strength. They couldn't do it. And, and um, I, I just want to encourage us to see that when we need transitions, when we need things to change in our lives in a fundamental way, we can also not do it. If you need a personal transition, if you need to change personally, I mean, we know, many of us, we've been trying for so long to change, and we can't do it in our own strength. It's, it's, it's just try and fail and try and fail and try and fail at the same things, and it becomes, it becomes disheartening. And, and we start feeling like that generation that was wandering in the desert, like Renette was saying, 40 years, you know, wandering in the desert, you know. Um, I, maybe I should tell you a little story of my son, Justin. You know, he's, he's such a blessing to us. Um, a real friendly little boy. He has some, um, what do you call, um, uh, sensory integration issues, you know. So, so he, and, 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 you know, he, he needs ways to sort of, um, how can I say, regulate himself, regulate his emotions because of just, just of who he is and so on. So he used to suck his thumb. You know, and that, that would sort of help him to calm down. He'd, he'd suck his thumb, and uh, that would sort of calm him down. And, and, you know, we sort of let it go, and, yeah, okay, he, you know, his, his mom stopped best breastfeeding him, you know, and that was sort of his happy place. So now he replaced it with a thumb, sucking his thumb, and, you know, that's, that's all great. And, and so it went on for a couple of years, and um, at some stage we realized, obviously, you know, he, you know, he can't go on indefinitely, you know. He's, he's got to st- stop sucking his thumb, and we tried everything. We tried putting plasters on his thumb during the night, but he'd pull off the plasters. and Or maybe it'll, it'll last for one night, but then the plaster would come off and eventually... I mean, it's an involuntary reaction, you know. It's a, it's a, especially for a small kid like that, you know. You know, the thumb would just go, go into the mouth and, it, and, it, and it'd suck his thumb. We tried Alvin juice. Now, you know, Alvin juice is very bitter. And we'd take that and put it on his thumb. And, and he'd suck off the Alvin juice and keep sucking his thumb. <laughs> it was just such a strong habit. And he couldn't break it. And eventually, I remember, we spoke to him, you know, and, and said to him, you know, you're becoming a big boy now. You need to stop um, sucking your thumb, trying to motivate him. But then I, I just had this thought, I'm, we need to pray. But I remember I was lying in bed with him, and I said, Justin, you pray and ask God to help you to stop sucking your thumb. And he prayed, and he said, God, please help me to stop sucking my thumb. And he stopped. Now, now that's a, 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 you know, sort of a, you might think a silly little personal example, but that's how God works in our lives. We need God to make changes and transition in, transitions in our The same thing in our family. Like Kubus was testifying before, beforehand, we cannot change our families. We cannot help our families to transition 
into the new season that God has for them. We cannot force them to do it. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And if we try to do it our way, then it fails. I mean, just think if Quibus, I mean, God said to him, you know, after he'd gotten saved and his family was going through this crisis of divorce and all that kind of stuff, you know, he wanted to run in there all guns blazing, you know, and fire off a few gospel bazookas, you know. <laughs> and God said to him, no, you're going to pray and you're going to wash the dishes. It, it's almost like God saying to the Israelites, you know, after the story that we read, no, you're not going to attack Jericho, you're going to just march around it in silence. It's, it's like that. You know, that's the kind of thing that God says, right? And then at the right time, God brings down the walls. And God brings the victory if we are obedient to Him. Isn't that so? And even nationally. I mean, think about where South Africa is now. We need change. We need a transition. We need a new season in our lives, life as a nation. But we can't accomplish that. We can pray and we can obey and watch how God accomplishes it. We can try in our own strength, but anything we do in our own strength will make things worse. But if we pray and then act in obedience to the Lord, then He will do it. He will do what we cannot do for ourselves. Um, so God commands us to do what we cannot do, and then God does for us what we cannot do. Notice that Israel did nothing, nothing, except to obey the Lord. They just did what God had told Joshua. The priests, you go in front, you take the Ark of the Covenant, you walk into the water, and as soon as your, your feet come ankle deep into the water, the water's going to dry up and you're going to walk through on dry land. That was the promise, that was the command. And the priests went, the, the guys carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, walked in, and it happened exactly as the Lord said. The Ark of the... In other words, it wasn't Israel that did the miracle. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And, and you'll notice that as long as the Ark of the Covenant was there in the river, because they went and stood in the middle of the river, and then the whole nation passed through on dry land, and then when everyone had passed through, they came out. And as long as the Ark of the Covenant was in the river, the flood was blocked. The flood was blocked. And the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence, God's covenant presence with His covenant people. That's what the Ark of the Covenant represents. In other words, it was the presence, the covenant presence of God that did the miracle that the people of God needed and that the people of God couldn't do for themselves. Can you see that? It's the presence of God. God did the miracle. All they had to do was just obey but here's the thing, you know, the priests still had to take the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulder and walk ankle deep into the water. They had to get their feet wet. And sometimes, in order for God to do a miracle for us, we need to get our feet wet. You get that? We need to get our feet wet. In other words, we need to respond in obedience to what God has commanded us to do even before our circumstances reflect the reality of what God has promised He would do. Can you see that? That's what it means to get your feet wet. I mean, when they walked into the Jordan River and got their feet wet, the priests got their feet wet, 
the river was still in flood. And they were walking into a river that was in flood and going ankle deep into it. And at that stage, there was no indication that the flood was drying up. But as soon as they got ankle deep into the water and started obeying, got their feet wet and started obeying what God had commanded even before their circumstances reflected what God had promised, then what God had promised came to pass. And I want to encourage you, so often we miss the promises of God because we're not willing to get our feet wet. We're not willing to act in faith. We want to wait until our circumstances reflect what God had promised before we obey Him. Isn't that so? We first want the flood to dry up, and then we want to walk through a dry land. And God says, no, 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 no. I want you as my people, my presence bearers, because remember, we're a kingdom of priests in the new covenant. We are like those priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. We are the presence bearers of God. God says, I want you to walk in and get your feet wet in faith. Get your feet wet even before the circumstances around you reflect my promises. And then you will see the promises of God coming to pass because all the promises of God are, are received by faith. Amen? So I want to encourage you, and I feel this is a word for many of you, you need to get your feet wet. You need to get into the habit of getting your feet wet and not waiting for God's promises, but get your feet wet and respond in faith, and then you will see the promises of God come to pass. Amen? Um, notice also that all of this happened not primarily through Israel's obedience, but through Joshua's obedience. God didn't speak to anyone except Joshua. And it was Joshua who trusted God and said, this is what God's going to do, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to obey God, and we're going to do this. And he gave the command for the priests to get their feet wet, and he gave them a command for the people to walk through the Jordan. And Joshua was the representative of the people before God. Just bear that in mind. We'll get back to that in a moment. Okay. So, um, and, and here's the thing that I, that I want you to, to see also. As long as the Ark of the Covenant was there in the water, the flood was stopped. As long as the presence of God is there, judgment is stayed. Because the flood in the Old Testament is always symbolic of judgment. As long as the presence of God is there with us, judgment, the hand of judgment is stayed. And judgment is stopped. And that's why we want the presence of God with us. And it's all about the presence of God. Not about what we can do, but what God's presence with us and in us can do for us and through us. That's what it's about. Now, um, I always um, share that quote. Um, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. Right? The Christian life isn't difficult. It's impossible. It's impossible in our own strength. You need the presence of God in your life. You know? You need the presence of God in your life. And unless you had the presence of God in your life, you're not a Christian and you're not trying the Christian life because the Christian life is a life of the presence of God in your life. Romans 10 verse, uh, 8 verse 9 says, if someone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. You know, And, and, and I hear often people say, well, I tried Christianity, it didn't work for me. No, no. You tried being a good boy or a good girl. 
you tried behavior modification. You tried to change your own life. If the presence of God were in your life, it would have changed you. You don't try Christianity. You don't try it. The presence of God is what does it to you. The presence of God in your life. Okay, and then um, thirdly, God commands us to build a memorial of what he had done. So he commanded them to take those 12 stones, one for each tribe, carry them on their shoulders to the place where they would sleep, which was at Gilgal, a couple of miles away that night. There's a scripture, I'm not going to read it to you because I don't have that much time and I don't want to uh, keep us too long, but in Leviticus 2, a few times, I think about three times in that chapter, it mentions that for every sacrifice, there will be a memorial portion that you'll burn there and then. In other words, a sacrifice has a memorial portion. That's very interesting. And it had frankincense in, so that when you burned it, you could smell the frankincense and so on. It's as though these rocks that they took out of the Jordan were the memorial portion of their sacrifice of obedience, which they took with them as a perpetual reminder. In other words, every sacrifice of obedience has a memorial portion, something in that act of obedience that you have done that you want to take with you to remind you of God's faithfulness when you obeyed Him. Every sacrifice of obedience has that. Every time you obey the Lord, there's a memorial portion, a stone, a rock, you've got to carry with you as a testimony of what God had done. Something from right there where God had done it. Right there in the Jordan where God had done it. So be always on the lookout for the memorial portion. Be always on the lookout for the rock that you have to carry with you as a testimony. And that testimony was not just for them. On the one hand, it says these rocks, this, this memorial that you'll build will be a memorial forever for Israel. So on the one hand, those rocks and that memorial was, was, was a memorial that they built to remind themselves of God's faithfulness. It is for Israel. It is for them. But then it says, but when, in verse 7, but when, you're, when your children ask you, what, what does this memorial mean? What does this heap of rocks mean to you? Then you will tell them, God, the presence of God, specifically it says the Ark of the Covenant dried up the waters of the Jordan so that we could go through on dry land. It's what God has done for us. This is what this memorializes, these rocks memorialize. These are rocks that come from the middle of the Jordan when it was in flood. We carried it out because we walked through on dry land because of the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant that was with us. In other words, what what that means is that a generation will arise who had not yet experienced the faithfulness of the Lord, who had not yet heard of what the Lord had done. And there's always a new generation like that that arises. There's always a new generation like that that arises. But not only that, at the very end of the chapter, the very last verse of the chapter, verse 24, Joshua 4, verse 24, it says... This will happen not only so that your children, so you can tell your children about it, and you must, this happened and, and you must build a memorial, not only so that, so that it can be an opportunity to tell your children, but so that all the peoples of the earth can hear about what the Lord has done and fear Him. And that's where it comes in for us. 
There is a generation of people out here who have never heard of what the Lord has done and what the Lord can do. They've never heard of the faithfulness of the Lord. They're out here in Joburg. And I think that's why, for instance, God is talking to us about next year having these host groups and saying, God, there's a generation of unchurched people out here in Joburg whom we need, to advise, we, need, we need to invite so that they can come to Gilgal, to the place where we lodge, to our homes, and they can see the memorial that we have built to God's faithfulness. So that they too can know what we know, that God is faithful and that the presence of God saves. So that they too can fear the Lord. And that's why next uh, year, February and March, we're going to have, for six weeks, we're going to have this, this um, host group course. And what we're going to do is I'm going to go through scriptures from the Gospel of John. And, and the, the theme is going to be the comeback. And we're going to share testimonies about our comeback based on uh, what the Lord has done for us. But we're going to share it also from, from Scripture. I mean, there's a Samaritan woman at the well, this woman who was completely lost, the outcast in a society. She'd had five husbands, and the one that she was with now was not a husband. And how Jesus helped her to make a comeback. You're never too far. You're never too late to make a comeback to the Lord. We're going to talk about in John 3 about uh, Cornelius, uh, not Cornelius, Nicodemus, and how he, as a religious leader, exactly the opposite almost as this woman at the well, made a comeback. He also knew he was religious. She was very irreligious, but he was very religious, but both of them needed to come back to God. We're going to talk about Jesus' second coming in John 14. We're going to talk about Jesus' resurrection. We're going to talk about Peter in the, right at the end of John's gospel and how he makes a comeback after he'd forsaken the Lord and disowned the Lord. We're going to talk about all those things with people in a way that's very accessible to people who are unchurched so that we can build a memorial for them and say, this is what the Lord has done in our lives and this is what the Lord can do in your life. A generation who doesn't yet know. And that is why God has been faithful. That's one of the main reasons why God has shown himself faithful in our lives and why he has called us to do things that we cannot do is so that it can be a testimony to others. And I want to encourage you to become part of that and uh, to, to use that as an opportunity to build a memorial in front of people who don't know, yet know the Lord. Okay. I'm going to ask uh, Steph to come up quickly and, and just in, in, in um, four or five minutes share a testimony. Come up, Steph. He's one of the guys who've been here from the beginning. And, and just sort of share quickly what, what the Lord has done um, for us as a, as, a, as a congregation. Thanks, Steph. Right. Thank you, Pastor Henny. It's always a, always a humbling privilege to be um, sharing in, uh, you know, from the front here. I always feel like I've got an extra spotlight on all my sin. You know. <laughs> it's great to be here. Um, what a privilege, 10 years uh, in Joburg. Um, I joined the church, what was basically a... a band of, um, you know, very excited and um, wide-eyed professionals in 2006, October, um, from, you know, coming back from London. And I just had um, the sense of, of really getting stuck in into the game. And um, it's been grateful, really, for 
what had, God had done in the previous season for me and just giving it all. And there was a lot of, you know, over the last 10 years we've had um, our challenges and our victories. And I think if I had to sum it up, I would say you guys have seen, you know, all the various leaders that, have, that, have, uh, that we've been blessed to, you know, to essentially have ministering to us over this time. And um, I think if I had to sum it up, I would say that, you know, this journey to Johannesburg, or in very much my journey as well, I, I would have to say that this is a journey of perseverance and overcoming. And, you know, this city is incredibly special. You know, I always say it's like the abused, you know, woman of the, of the country. You know, they like, everybody wants to come and get something, and they don't want to give what needs to be given. Um, it's a city on a hill. It's a bit like Jerusalem to me. I don't, I don't miss the fact that there isn't a sea and all of that stuff. I rec- look at the significance of this, of this town. The fact that it is really what Johannesburg or really what this country is about, whether you believe it or not. Um, it is by far the most important metropole, by far. And um, it's true. Um, <laughs> the, the, the numbers attest to that. But what the best part of the city is, is it's quite prophetic because what it, the name means, who can tell me what the name means? What particular Johannes? God is gracious. God is gracious. So, you've just heard a sermon about grace, basically, and empowerment. Grace, grace is almost best uh, translated as God's empowerment. And this is what the city is all about. People come from the whole of Africa to be empowered. Financially, maybe, but that's exactly what we do here. And that's what God does, and that's what God has done for us in this, in this family. He empowers you to do things that you think you cannot do and gives you the staying power to persevere until you overcome. And it's true, some some people don't make it. But then I often ask the question about, you know, why? Um, And that's where we've got to be tough and we've got to ask ourselves, really, how committed are we to the cause and how how. Are we looking at the land and saying, oh, it's too hard. It's, this stuff is great, but I'm going to turn around and move back and end up 40 years in the promised land, or are we going to take the land? You know? So I can tell you of many wonderful events and great experiences I've had, um, but I can tell you God is faithful. Um, I can see it in my business. Um, I can see it in my life. There are areas that I have not seen the breakthroughs yet, but I push forward to see that breakthrough because I know it will come uh, because I've seen God's goodness in my life. Um, so yeah, without harping on too much, I wanted to say next 10 years is about taking the land many ways and occupying it, making it our own and not shrinking back, and persevering. And maybe God calls you to this house and maybe he doesn't, but be faithful to the call on your, on your life. Thank you. Just hang on. Um, when, when you arrived here in Joburg, um, just tell us how the church looked then. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah, the band was, I mean, there was a picture, I think, of the band the other day. Um, I didn't even recognize myself. It was, I had a lot more hair, that's for sure. 
Um, but it was a very, very small. We were two small groups. You heard, um, you heard them. T- yeah, you heard, you heard about that. Um, it's, it's explaining them, they, and we missed them, Jacques, and, and they had an incredible amount of input as well. But it was small. It was very small. It was two, two, bad, two, uh, two small groups, and we had, we had some traffic. We had people come in, have a look at us, and say, Oh, yes, this is too much work, and then they'd leave. Um, and then we'd start again, and then we'd start again, and we kept going, and we multiplied that way. By God's grace, we went from two small groups. How many are we now? There we go. Compounding, eh? <laughs> now that's exponential. So from 2 to 20 in 10 years, that's not bad. Something, yeah. and, um, and that's how we started. So we basically were at Cedar Park, which is a very peculiar venue. Um, it was always, it was quite central, actually. It worked well for, for, for that, but it was a bit uh, commercial, I would say. And the carpets always smelled peculiar. People always had to think <laughs> about that. It was like weird. Um, and, and yeah, you know, people, I mean, I learned to worship, uh, God in this church properly. I mean, I, I was in, I was in, uh, bands previously, but I remember arriving here and the Oak said, look, um, we need somebody to to lead worship. We need somebody to, to, um, play guitar, you know, and that's how we started churning out four hit wonders. And there we go, four, four, four chord wonders, you know, and, um, we haven't looked back since. And then we grew from there, obviously, in the end, we moved, uh, um, con- continued to grow and continued to grow. And then I think Heinrich decided in the end, or it was maybe, I think it was Heinrich that moved us, decided that we should be, have more strategic move here and focus uh, a little bit more on this area. Um, and uh, Sophia Town as well and be more central in that way, closer to the families because it was quite, it was quite impersonal that side. Mm. And that's why we got, uh, so we came around to this side. Now we're obviously launching out into... The real thing, which is, which is, <laughs> yes, for some people it is. UJ uh, is very important. UJ is very important. It is the future. But I'm very excited about the actual Santon plant. So we should go and support that as much as you can. And I would just say, I had one word in my heart really as well for today. I was reading through Nehemiah this morning um, and how, you know, if you read that book, you know about it, basically Nehemiah building the, uh, the ruins back up of uh, Jerusalem, the walls had, be, had to be rebuilt. And it's a fantastic book, and take your time through it, but I'm just going to sum it up, and basically the way they were successful is that they were well prepared, uh, they had God's grace on their lives, His empowerment, they had to build the wall themselves, He didn't build it for them. And every person took responsibility for the section of wall in front of their home. So, you take responsibility for the area God's given to you, because if you do not build that wall, the enemy will just come running in there, and the rest of us will be overrun. So, you have a responsibility to not, you know, denigrate yourself or belittle your contribution and say, ach, jong, ek kan nie, ek is nou te klein en onbelangrik. Do what God's called you to do. Build that section of the wall, because that's how we, how we do the whole thing. Amen. All right. Praise God. Thanks, Steve. So I, th- I think if you if you had um, told Steph, you know, when when, they were, when he joined here and they were in, in October 2006, and there were 15 people that we will be here in um, 2016, 
he would have said, yeah, you know, bring it on. I can't see it yet, but I, 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 I take that, you know. <laughs> That's a win. Um, I want us to just hand out the ushers just to quickly hand out the elements of the communion. We're going to have communion in a while. Um, so the ushers can just quickly hand out the elements of the communion. Um, I want you to notice in, in verse 9 in Joshua 4, there's a bit of a something strange um, that the book says that actually confuses even the translators. It says in verse 9, and Joshua set up, this is after now they talk, it's, it's spoken about the 12 guys, you know, carrying the rocks on their shoulder to the camp and putting it down there. It says in verse 9, and Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. And, and you'll see, if you know, I read it in the NIV, and I noticed that the NIV, you know, it struggles a bit with what it says, because at face value, it's, if you just read it, it sounds, in the, in, in the Hebrew and so on also, as though there were these 12 rocks taken to the camp, and then there's another 12 rocks that Joshua took and built, you know, a memorial heap right there in the middle of the Jordan while it was still dry, while the priests were still standing there. And that that pile of rocks is still there to this day. That's how it sounds. But the, the NIV is like, they, trans, they sort of try and soften it and say, no, there couldn't have been two piles of rock. There must have been just one sort of memorial. And they sort of, in a sense, translate it out because it just doesn't seem to fit to them. But they actually, by translating it out, they missed the point. They missed the point. Joshua, and just by the way, the name Joshua is the Hebrew for, form of the, of the name Jesus, in case you didn't know that. It's exactly the same in the Greek. It's Yeshua, which is Joshua in the Hebrew or Jesus in English. And Joshua represents Jesus. And those 12 guys took 12 rocks, which they carried on their shoulders to the place where they lived, to Gilgal, to the, to the place where they camped. And, and Joshua used that camp at Gilgal as a base from which to conquer the promised land. They carried those rocks and made a memorial at the place where they lived. But that memorial of the 12 stones at the place where they lived pointed back to the very spot where the miracle happened, where they would have died if God had not intervened. The flood would have swept them away. And Joshua here is a representative of the people. And his name, as his name indicates, is a, represent, is, is a type of Jesus. And our memorials that we build where we live likewise point back to the place where Jesus built a memorial where we should have died. Where's that? It's on the cross. 2,000 years ago on Golgotha, Jesus hung on a cross in our place, and that cross stands as an eternal memorial to the faithfulness of God and the salvation of God in our lives. And every memorial that we build where we live points back to that one ultimate memorial at the place where we should have died, but where he died in our place. Can you see that? That is the ultimate memorial, the cross, which is still today 
the most recognizable brand in the world, the cross. More than Coke. I mean, many people think when you ask, what's the most recognizable brand? They'll say Coca-Cola. No, it's the cross. The cross of Jesus. The ultimate memorial. And every memorial that we build through our witness, through our testimony, where we live and amongst the people where we live, when we talk to our children, when we talk to our neighbors, when we talk to the, all, all the nations of the earth who do not know about what the Lord has done, our 12 stones, our memorial points back to that memorial that was built right in the place where the flood of judgment came. And it stands to this day. Our memorial points back to his memorial. The nation didn't build that memorial. Joshua did it himself. We don't, didn't build the memorial of the cross. Jesus did it himself. And our memorials just point back to that. And when we have communion this morning, that is what we're celebrating. We're remembering the eternal memorial that Jesus built on our behalf. In the place where we should have died. Because he is the presence of God. Because he is God. Right at that place where he is the ultimate priest, representing the ultimate, in the ultimate way the presence of God, stood in the middle of where judgment should come. He built the cross as an eternal memorial so that we can live and so that we can build other memorials where we live to testify that what God has done for us, he can do for you. The God who has been faithful to us will be faithful to you. The God who saved us from, from the, f- the flood of judgment will save you from that same flood, wherever you are, wherever you are. And that's what we celebrate when we have communion.